is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Diversify. Don't just put all your eggs in one export market. Think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world. Listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Managing Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Sheena Brady, the founder of Tease Tea, on the show today. Although it may have started as a creative outlet and side hustle, Sheena always has had big dreams for Tease Tea to empower women one cup at a time around the world. Tease Tea has grown into a seven-figure company serving customers in over 30 countries with a portion of proceeds from every order supporting its give-back program. To date, Tease Tea has contributed over $150,000 in product and financial support to these organizations. Part of its give back program includes the Founders Fund, which in the last eight months has taken on a life of its own, becoming Canada's first online growth accelerator to support women identifying entrepreneurs by providing accessible access to mentorship, resources, and non-repayable funding to grow their business. In 2019, the Founders Fund has given over 200 women identifying entrepreneurs access to mentorship, resources, and feedback on their businesses, and successfully funded five companies. Sheena and the Founders Fund team is on a mission to serve thousands of women identifying entrepreneurs across the country in 2020 through its accessible membership business model. Welcome to the show, Sheena. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm -hmm. Welcome. So at the end of this conversation, what's one thing that you want uh, women entrepreneurs to take away from our chat today? I think the biggest thing I would love for anyone listening to take away 
is to really lean into your support system. And if you don't have one, maybe start reflecting on where you might be able to find one. I think through a sense of community and through peer-to-peer mentorship, it's it's a great way to help uh, navigate some of the challenges and barriers that, that we face as entrepreneurs. Mm, incredible. So start us off. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Tea's Tea, where the idea came from, um, and how you became a Tea Somalia from the beginning? You don't really meet Tea Somalias every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I swear it's a real thing. I always have to say that to people. So when I started uh, the company in 2013, at the time, I call this my previous life, but I was working in the hospitality industry for a decade at that time. It's what I went to school for. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was pretty proud of myself for getting paid well to do the thing that I went to school for. And at the, at the height of my career, I was working for a beautiful hotel in Toronto, specifically as a service leader uh, and professional wine sommelier. And I was really excited to get my hands on their wine program. And because for me, that was like part of my creative outlet as well, working in a demanding, uh, in the demanding hospitality industry. And, and I was surprised when the general manager said, you know, we already have a master wine sommelier who's in the process of building this program. So uh, we don't really need your support on that, but I really want you to build our tea program. And at first I thought, you know, it was a little bit condescending because I thought, well, what do you want me to do? Like pick some red rose and Lipton's and then, you know, call it a day. Uh, yeah. So I, I was a little bit shocked by that. Um, but when I inquired further, you know, in terms of what the expectations were, uh, he quickly corrected and he said, no, you know, uh, with this hotel, like we really want a beautiful tea program. We want the biggest tea program in the entire city of Toronto. We want a minimum of 75 teas sourced from around the world. And we also need you to implement uh, tea ceremonies. So, you know, you have to train the team on how do Moroccans prefer their Moroccan mint tea versus how do uh, the British drink their tea or, or if somebody wants a Japanese tea ceremony versus a Chinese tea ceremony. These are two very different things. And I want to be able to encompass all of that in, in a beautiful, robust tea program. And I didn't even drink tea at the time. <laughs> so very solid so, foundation you were working yes, from. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I, I had only been at this hotel for a short period of time by that point. And so I knew that, uh, first of all, I, I'm a little bit ambitious by nature. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to just do what I can to knock this out of the park. But I knew I had to become educated. And so I found the Tea and Herbal Association of Canada, and they represent the entire industry from bush to cup, basically. And uh, through the Tea Association of Canada, I became became a certified tea sommelier, uh, which is an eight-month program. And what was really cool about that eight-month program is that you know, I really took this program just to prove a point that I would be capable of building a beautiful tea program. But what ended up happening is that my shift from my passion from wine totally shifted and, and made sense in, in terms of tea. And it kind of became this unexpected passion. And so like when we think of wine, for example, you know, we have red grapes and white grapes. And from there, we have tons of different varietals um, like champagne, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, the list goes on. With tea, it's the exact same thing. A lot of people don't realize that all tea comes from the same plant and the difference is how it's processed, how it's harvested, the geography, the climate, all the nerdy stuff that affects the final product. I was super into. And so it was a very unexpected but natural shift and passion at the age of 20, I want to say 20, I was 25 at the time. And, you know, having a bit of an entrepreneurial bug, it was obviously a lot easier to start a tea side hustle than a wine side hustle. So mm. interesting. And so Tea's Tea, the, the inception of it, did it, did you have this sort of charitable function in mind? Or were you looking at just starting a business that was around tea? That's a great question. So Tea's Tea has been a social enterprise long before I even knew what that word meant. Um, 
I, I, you know, I wasn't very connected in the entrepreneurial ecosystem whatsoever. I was working, uh, you know, 10 to 12 hour days in the hospitality industry and, and uh, tea was just my creative outlet. And so I was blending teas in my condo in Toronto at the time. And I thought, okay, I need a little bit of a, a differentiator because, you know, there's a David's tea in every shopping mall, for example, and what's, what's going to make teas tea stand out. And so for me, it became a moment of, well, what's important to me? And it, it was a great decision looking back, but I, I didn't realize the impact of it at the time. But I basically made the very intentional decision of, um, you know, supporting women through every single purchase. And uh, basically through a portion of proceeds, we donate to programs dedicated to women's empowerment. And that's because of some of my own dynamic challenges and, and struggles growing up and, and through adulthood. So it was something that was important to me addressing social issues um, that women face. And so, you know, it, it not only became a differentiator for our tea brand, um, but it also became a as a huge motivator and uh, it, it, it made my business become so much more fulfilling as well because I always knew that, you know, I wasn't just building a tea company, I was building something more than that. And so during the toughest times in business, that often carried me through to keep going. And I, th- I love that idea of like building a social enterprise by surprise. That it was kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> just a part of the, the package, but you weren't even uh, entirely clear of what that looked like at the beginning. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that in mind because it taps into the this, um, this special place in their their heart or, you know, it activates a totally different sense of purpose. Um, and, uh, and you can follow your gut and feel really invested in that passion project in a different way than if the business was just um, potentially going down a, a for-profit model um, 100%. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, it also helped to define uh, our differentiator as a brand, but also who we were serving. And so, you know, with Tea's Tea, we're all about, you know, that, that sense of self-empowerment through every cup of tea. So you, our customers can feel good knowing they can choose the right type of tea to empower their own goals and desires, depending on their mood or desires that day. Um, but also with every, you know, with every purchase, they're, they're empowering women around the world through our organization. So it created a really cool ecosystem. Incredible. And so you're also very environmentally conscious through Tea's Tea. Can you talk about how you've included that as a cornerstone of your, your values as an organization? Yeah. So it's definitely been a mission of progress over perfection. If I'm being completely honest, like when I started the company in 2013, uh, you know, sustainability and being environmentally friendly wasn't really an intentional part of the business model because I just wasn't current and, and up to speed personally in terms of like the importance of these uh, of these issues. Um, but, you know, having worked at, um, you know, uh, Shopify and also different places over the years and starting to see like why these issues are so important, why they matter, um, and, and also seeing like how, it's, how business owners can actually do small things to make an impact. And it doesn't have to be these big, massive changes to their company structure to be environmentally friendly. So for us, um, it's again, progress over perfection. Anytime we make new decisions, like we think, how can we do this with sustainability in mind? So the most recent example would be, you know, our, uh, we launched pyramid tea bags. And so, you know, we pay five times the traditional cost of those tea bags um, that you normally would get from any other supplier. Um, but they are, you know, they're made in Toronto, so not so far away. And they're made of corn-based fiber 
fibers and um, uh, sugarcane-based fibers, so essentially entirely plant-based so that they're biodegradable and compostable uh, and, of course, plastic-free as well because some tea bags on the market do contain microplastics, unfortunately. So that's one example. Um, our packaging is made from, um, you know, 75% recycled materials. And again, whenever possible, we're trying to source whatever we can, whenever we can from, you know, in our own backyard. So um, hopefully like within the province or within the country. Uh, and we always default to that first before, you know, looking um, outside of that. And that just really kind of helps to offset the carbon footprint as well in the process. That's amazing. I guess you're checking so many boxes in terms of sustainable <laughs> development goals. And like at Startup Canada, we're doing a lot of work with that um, and looking at mission-driven for-profit organizations um, and trying to get them connected into our ecosystem and getting people to realize that they might have social enterprise uh, kind of, uh, missions or components of their organization that they're not even aware of. So this is totally aligning with a lot of our programming. It's true. And I was at a workshop in Invest, at Invest Ottawa, I think three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. And I was explaining my business model to somebody that was hosting the workshop. And they said, oh, you're a social enterprise. And I said, well, what's that? What? Like, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't even know what that was. And then I said, that mm. sounds like, that sounds bigger than what we are. I don't really think we, we, we're that. And he said, no, like walk me through everything again. And, and I did. And he said, no, you're absolutely, uh, you know, a social enterprise and, and a great example of how um, even, even small businesses that are growing can make an, an impact in that front. Yeah, so perfect evidence that we just need that education exercise to bring that information to life to, to a lot of our entrepreneurial communities. Yes, and yeah. actually, if you don't mind, like another exercise that was really mm. eye-opening for me was going through uh, the certified B Corp process. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so TCT, it's been like, we're not certified yet, but we're in the process. And that was hugely eye-opening. And so to any listeners, like I would highly encourage as well, just taking their survey, because what's interesting is that anybody can access that survey. And just by filling out the survey to see how... Um, uh, if you can become a certified B Corp, um, you see all these opportunities of things that you can do within your business of the most, you know, small things that you might not even realize that you were capable of doing. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So just having that, exactly. that those examples in front of you is a super helpful exercise. Awesome. A nice little takeaway. <laughs> uh, so can you explain a little bit more around, around the charity program, how it's empowering um, women uh, or identifying women um, around the world? Yes, absolutely. So the joke around here is that I accidentally built a second company and <laughs> I hate it, when that happens. <laughs> yes, it really truly was not my intention. Um, but basically what happens, as I mentioned, like with with our charity program with TST, um, historically we were choosing a different organization every month. So you didn't necessarily have to be a charity or not for profit, although of course, you know, we definitely worked with several of those. As long as you were a company that was dedicated to improving the lives of women in some capacity, we wanted to work with you. And so we chose a different organization every month. That was great. But then it started to feel a little bit transactional over time because let's just face it, starting a new relationship every month is really hard. And then how do you quantify the impact when you're changing organizations every month, right? Um, where does that money go? Or if you're volunteering your time or if you're, um, you know, giving product support, whatever the case might be to these organizations, like what is the ultimate impact? And so I, I started to feel like, okay, this also isn't a really good story for our customers because it's their money at the end of the day that's supporting these organizations through our orders. So in 2019, I got very intentional um, at the beginning of this year and I thought, okay, we're going to like revamp this entire charity program and it's going to represent our uh, core values at TST. And 
we hadn't even yet identified our core values. So I had to like sit down, identify those core values. They became three pillars. Um, And so those three pillars were around uh, empowering young girls through education, because of course, you know, they are are strong women that we're trying to shape for tomorrow. And so we worked with Plan International Canada because I am a girl, that program specifically to help send girls in developing uh, countries to school. So that was the first one. The second one was um, empowering uh, women through gender balance and equality. And we did that by working with womenforwomen.org, another not-for-profit global chari- global recognized charity uh, that really helps to support, you know, the development of skills for women in their communities so that they can better contribute to the economy, whether it's finding employment or learning new skills for a certain job or, or that sort of thing. And then finally, the third one, this is one that was like really close to my heart. And that was obviously empowering women through entrepreneurship because I'm extremely mm. passionate about this topic and I needed to Dang find it. it. Yeah, right. And so I needed to find an organization that was like just as a, that represented that that actually did this every day and that would be willing to partner with me the way I partner with the other two organizations. So I had one in mind because I had already been like a personal uh, donor to them. And when I reached out to them, you know, they loved the idea, but they just said, you know, we're not ready for a partnership, Sheena. Like, you know, if you, if you want to send us money or like contribute or whatever, like we, we, we're fine. Of course, like we're going to accept that, but we're not ready to do like a mutually impactful like partnership. And so I was a little bit crushed because this organization had meant a lot for me, but I respected the fact that they just weren't ready for that type of uh, partnership. So I thought, well, what am I going to do to fill that third pillar? And then I said, well, screw it. Let's just build our own program. (laughs) (laughs) And there it goes. Yeah. And and the program was born. And the program was born and it was called the T's T Founders Fund at first in 2019. And so it lived under TC, my company, and it was really just supposed to be, for lack of better words, a contest just to simplify it. And so what that meant is, you know, I would bring together other successful entrepreneurs and say, what are you doing to pay your success forward? Because we all inherently have this desire to want to do that in our DNA as entrepreneurs, because we know how low the lows can be. And so if we can help make the journey of, you know, uh, the next generation of successful budding entrepreneurs a little bit easier, we will go out of our way to do that. At least that was my experience. And so we got these entrepreneurs together that were in more successful stages of growth and they contributed either their money or their time. And so what was great is that we ended up uh, through through that generosity of time or funding, um, and then of course through the, uh, our charity program through you know every purchase, uh, we also used some of that money for like the operational costs. And so what we were left with was this really cool contest that we kind of created where we had uh, we asked for women identifying entrepreneurs during all stages of growth to apply for access to funding, mentorship, and resources for their business. It ended up blowing up bigger than anything that I could ever expected. Um, we reached 11 out of the 13 provinces and territories across the country. We had over 200 um, businesses go through our, um, you know, our application and mentorship program. When I say we had some entrepreneurs donate their time, that also included scoring the applications for the funding ultimately. And they had a very important job, this, the selection committee. They had to not only score every application, but they had to give feedback on every single application. And they had to identify areas of opportunity, potential blind spots, and things maybe that the entrepreneur was doing great, but they weren't giving themselves enough credit for. And so 
Yeah. And so every, all 200 applicants got feedback on their business, all 200 applicants got access to mentorship. And then finally we were able to fund five companies across the country as well, um, through non-repayable funding, which, which was remarkable. And I think one of the other remarkable data points that we were truly proud of is that we had 45% of our applicants identify as a visible minority and why that was really, uh, you know, a proud moment for us is because it really kind of demonstrated like the importance of representation and why it matters because like the expression goes, you often can't be what you can't see. And so we intentionally tried to challenge like who you see when you think of the word CEO um, or founder or that sort of thing. And we did that by, you know, having these entrepreneurs that were funders and mentors, um, you know, accurately represent the Canadian landscape of entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's that's really incredible. And I love that um, you're focusing on connecting entrepreneurs using different currencies that, you know, not every entrepreneur has time and not every entrepreneur has money that they would be able to um, come into this this relationship with it and support other entrepreneurs. So you're giving them an opportunity to use a different currency that they might have more of at their particular sort of stage of, of time. So that's a really great and I think a smart way to, to build that network um, and get them, you know, providing feedback and um, going through the, the uh, uh, not so sort of exams, but um, going through the uh, the application. App- yes, the application review. And yeah, everything. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's a really good way to articulate it as currency, and yeah. that's that's ultimately what it came down to. Yeah, and I yeah, just the the incredible regional diversity, uh, having so many visible minorities being a part of this program. That's a huge success, and rarely do you find that, um, you know, in the first round of doing this type of project. So kudos. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, part of like how we were able to be so successful in that is not only making sure that we were very intentional with the funders and mentors that we came on board to, to give their time or, or their, their money, for example, and making sure that they represented the true Canadian landscape of entrepreneurs. But we invited them to like show up where entrepreneurs are. And let's face it, a lot of us are on Instagram um, because that's where our businesses are. Right. And so that's where we're trying to promote our businesses. And so we built this Instagram community and invited our mentors to do takeovers and so to host uh, like live AMAs, that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the, the women entrepreneurs that saw these mentors, they could, they could, they could see a whole new level of success that they might not have been able to picture before because they could see a bit of their future self in the successful entrepreneur that was doing the takeover, um, which was, which is really cool. Yeah. See yeah. it to be it. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so switching gears and sort of looking at your organization and the work culture that you're trying to, uh, build and, and convey with your staff. Can you talk a little bit about how you empower your team um, at a professional and personal level and how um, you sort of rally rally your staff around this incredible initiative? Definitely. So uh, it's interesting. I like to use the whole like the analogy of like the trust battery that some like that people have when they when they meet someone. And so I think it's Toby from Shopify is like the who I heard this from. But basically, um, when he meets people, the trust battery is at about 50 percent. And then depending on your actions, it goes one way or another. Right. Like it's either charges more or charges a bit less. Um, and, uh, I think that that's created like an incredible uh, culture at Shopify for, for me personally, for better, for worse, I'm at like a hundred percent charged battery. The second I meet you, I am like, I'm the same. yeah, I'm like over trusting <laughs> to a fault. Um, like here's my keys. Yes, exactly, <laughs> here's my credit card. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The actually random note, but the other day I got a flyer on my doorstep, uh, to go to, uh, like this, like a manicure salon in someone's home. And I saw the rates and I'm like, Oh, those are really good rates. I'm, I'm going to go totally drive over there and and show up and it was only when I knocked on the door I was like 
this could be the scene of a really bad, like, you know, law and order this episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I'm like, that's the trust battery to a fault, right? Like there was just, there's, mm-hmm. I just showed up because of some flyer to some random address. Anyway, I got the manicure. It was fine. Um, but that's really kind of the extreme of my trust level. Um, mm-hmm. And so anyway, I think that actually, you know, more often than not, it really does work in uh, my favor, especially when we talk about a team culture. I give our team a lot of trust and autonomy. Um, I really just want to be there to support them through their challenges and then get out of their way to figure it out. Um, I'm very much a solutions focused person. Um, very clear to like the team, like, please don't ever come to me with problems, come to me with problems with proposed solutions so that we can really like make the most, um, of our time together. And then also at the same time, like you can feel empowered to know that like you are completely capable of coming up with solutions, even if they're outside of the box or maybe they're expensive, or maybe you might think that I might not agree with them, but you're, you're very capable of doing that. You don't need me to come up with solutions. Um, the other thing that, um, we do is like, we're very supportive of each other's entrepreneurial pursuits. So, um, the two full-time people on my team actually both have like a side hustle. Wow. Yeah. And, and, uh, like we're like, we very, very much encourage that here. And I re- cause I think like having a side hustle, we're in like the side hustle economy, we're in like the gig economy or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think it's not only an opportunity to cre- to generate maybe a bit of, uh, inc- additional income in your life, but it's also, it can also be an expression or creative outlet in some way. So one, uh, one of our team members is a photographer and she has a ton of clients. And then we have another one who just like custom, like vinyl work and, and that sort of thing like for custom like promotional materials and that sort of stuff and I think um you know the other thing that we do too is like allow them to make their own working hours as long as it's in the business's best interest as well um so we don't want you to show up at like this arbitrary 9 a.m you know time just because like nine to five is like the typical time that people should should work um you know one like you can be eight to four you can be you know seven to three like it doesn't really matter whatever works for you if you want to work a couple hours remote fine but the reason why like we give a lot of autonomy is that when you give your your team the space to to act like entrepreneurs and think like entrepreneurs uh they often make decisions acting like an owner truly in the best interest of the company and they have a bit more entrepreneurial empathy Mm-hmm. And that acting like an owner, I love that that idea, especially with staff who are maybe working for entrepreneurs, um, that it can be challenging, you know, when you're you're driving the car, um, that you have to make sure that your passengers also feel like they have a say in where the, the car is going um, and, and that they understand their roles and that they feel empowered um, to, you know, switch directions. And I'll keep going with this <laughs> metaphor of cars. No, but, you're uh, right. It's, it's an interesting totally challenge, right. though, when you're sort of um, the, the quote unquote face of the organization. How do you empower your staff? to feel like they are really actively contributing um, and and offering unique value as this company gets built over time as well. Because I imagine what it looked like at the very beginning looks very different to what it does now. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes I struggle because I don't know, I very much like default to open with the team. Like I'm very transparent. Like they know our financials, they know, they know everything. And sometimes, you know, that, that again, like that might be a bit too high of a trust battery issue. Um, but, but on the flip side, uh, again, like I do truly believe that it allows them to look at things as, as, as entrepreneurs and have a bit more empathy for the business owner and make like the right decisions. And, you know, one small thing that we implemented that actually worked out great for everyone, um, I had them coming to me with like, 
hey, you know, I want to approve this budget for X, you know, whether it's um, trade show rentals or you name it, you know, they're coming to me because like, I'm, I'm like the bank account lady, right? So they, they come <laughs> to me. Ask, yeah, exactly. And so they come to me for approval with all of this. And it started to really kind of get me in the weeds at, at one point. And I said, look, I just want you to make the decision like, and, and just try your best to get like as many quotes as you can. And ultimately like whatever you can save us in anything, I will give you back like 10% of that as like a bonus. So, you know, yeah. And it also teaches them this philosophy that like you, you don't get what you don't ask for. So like one of the best examples was, you know, one of my team members organizes our trade shows and uh, a lot of people don't know this fun fact for entrepreneurs listening, but like sometimes those, those booths can be negotiated. Okay. Mm. And so, um, I, I was telling, you know, the Tessa's her name on our team. I said, you know, why don't you try asking them if, if they can come down to our budget? Cause we had a certain amount of budget allocated for the rest of the year. And she said, are you sure? Like, is that an appropriate thing to ask? I'm like, you don't know unless you don't ask. And, uh, and so, you know, she asked and sure enough, she was able to save us $700. Wow. And I gave her 10% of that savings because it's like you not only saved our bottom line in the company, but like I'm fine with rewarding you for that. Um, so is and you know she's making a little bit of like an extra unexpected bonus at the end of the day. So, um, and I just think like having that type of philosophy, uh, allowing them to have the opportunity to like negotiate on your behalf and um, make decisions on your behalf, uh, ultimately has them make decisions as if they were you know owning part of the company as well. Mm, yeah, I love that. You don't get what you don't ask for. I think that's such an important lesson in every every yes. part of our lives. Um, and so balancing that um, with with trust, I guess that's also speaking to a, a robust hiring process and making sure that you're bringing people on your team that you would trust with those types of decisions. Um, what do you look for when you are looking at uh, you know growing your team and when you look when you were looking for your current team members? Um, how did you assess that capacity that you could um, you know bring them on and have that trust and really build in this, this autonomy? Uh, you know what? That's like such a tough question because, uh, I'll be honest, sometimes it's, it's failed that, that in that reaction to just default to high trust. Um, some people are paralyzed by that amount of autonomy. Um, mm-hmm. some people thrive in environments that are much more structured and that, you know, they can just come to work, show up, know what their job is, do it well, go home, leave the rest at the door and buy. And there's something to be said about that. There's a lot of respect for, for that. Um, but that's not the best environment to work in for a small business, right? Like this just doesn't exist. Like we don't have a department for all the things. Right. And so, um, yeah, so the, the, the people that I really have to go out of my way to really look for and try and peel back the layers and dissect in the interview process like um, if they are if they are the right fit ultimately are the people that are ready to jump in and wear a lot of different hats and know that just because your job description says one thing doesn't mean that like it's probably going to change three months in um, because that's just the reality of, uh, of working in, in a small but growing business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a challenge that so many of the entrepreneurs that are working in the startup space as they do try to scale up uh, this hiring component is such a tricky juncture. Um, that, you know, if you're you're spending more time um, hand-holding through this process, that can uh, come at the cost of other productive avenues that you need to be pursuing. So I think it's a really interesting conversation when you're looking at, okay, who's your first hire? Who's your second hire? Um, how are you making decisions that are going to ultimately benefit your organization, but also provide um, a great learning opportunity for that new staff member to wear so many different hats? And it's such an exciting space. I mean, I mean I'm probably biased <laughs> that I would particularly enjoy that, that type of environment, but agreed that it's 
not also meant for everyone. So making sure you're really clear and transparent around mm-hmm. the expectations, but also the potential benefits that uh, you might not get, you know, 10% on whatever you've uh, sort of saved your organization if you're working for a 300 person, uh, you know, company down the street. So uh, yeah, trade-offs. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, costs and benefits, like costs and, or pros and cons to both, I guess. And I, I especially learned that recently with, like, we, we work with Ottawa University uh, through Telford School of Business with their internship program. So we're, we get interns every season, which is wonderful. And it's, it's really cool to be able to uh, work with some of their students. And one of the our recent interns who just graduated had to share, like, a case study of what she thought, you know, what it was like working for us. And I always <laughs> get nervous reading them because I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder if she's going to say she had a terrible time. But anyway, Anyway, the, the short of that is that she, she had a great experience, um, but she was so thankful for the internship opportunity because it actually taught her uh, before she even stepped into the, the working world that she does not want to work for a startup. And I think that that's really cool that she was able to learn that level of self-awareness um, from an internship uh, because she saw like the amount of different hats that like our team wears and, and, um, you know, how it's, it's, it's not your traditional work environment. And, and, and for her, you know, she just thrives on a lot of structure and, um, unless you're the person building the structure, um, yeah, you, you've got to wear, you've got to wear a ton of different hats for sure. Completely. That, I love that lesson that, yeah, figuring out what you don't want to do is just as important as figuring out what you do want exactly. to do uh, in your career. I had an interest, I had a very similar experience in my first internship that I did in New York City. It was a fashion PR internship. And I, you know, it was the job of my dreams. And I was miserable the entire time. I, it just didn't resonate with me. I couldn't understand the purpose of the organization. I didn't connect with the community. Um, and I'm so glad that I made that decision, you know, when I was 21 right. or 22, having that feedback as opposed to diving into a career, you know, post-university mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, late in my 20s, early 30s and, and having a lot more risk associated with that decision. Absolutely. So that's a super important lesson. Completely agree. Cool. Um, so if you could leave our audience with one piece of advice, um, especially for women identifying entrepreneurs, I know there have been a, a number of different um, little nuggets of gold that you've provided for sure. Um, What would be the one key piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Yes, I think that the biggest piece of advice would be to seek support through mentorship whenever possible. And I know that mentorship is like this very ambiguous thing, but um, even if it's like a peer mentor, so someone that's at like a similar stage of growth in their journey, I think like for me anyway, that was like a huge part of uh, helping me navigate my challenges is that I have who I like to call my ride or die fellow entrepreneur who's in, in a similar stage of, of growth. And we've been working alongside each other's businesses for uh, five, six years now. We can call each other to really like celebrate the highs. We can call each other to really stress and vent in a safe space about the lows with like no judgment. Uh, and then also come up with like creative brainstorming solutions. And like, that's really where like the Founders Fund too, um, I really hope will provide a ton of value in 2020 for our applicants. And like I said, we built a second company by accident. It's very much its own company now. It's its own uh, social enterprise uh, corporation, basically. And so, you know, when we talk about accessibility, we're bringing that to the to the next level. And so with the Founders Fund, it's this whole pay it forward model that for um, your membership fee, more than half goes into a pool of funding that you can apply for in the spring. And the other half goes towards investing investing in yourself uh, through mentorship and resources and, and your application feedback. So it's this whole investing in yourself while investing in others. And um, yeah, I think that's like a big part of what we're, we're trying to do to help support Canadian women identifying entrepreneurs. 
Incredible. And how can we become members? What's the process for that? Yes. So the memberships close January 20th. All you have to do is visit foundersfund.ca and we still have a a limited amount of memberships available. And basically it's a $225 fee. It's annual. So it's just a one-time fee for the year. And uh, like I said, more than half of that goes right into the pool of funding that people can apply for in the spring. And and then you're going to be on our list to join our programming in 2020 once you become a member. And we have, oh, we have some incredible mentors from all walks of life. So again, we're intentionally trying to make this accessible and industry agnostic. So whether you run a bricks and mortar store or whether you're building an app um, or anything in between, you know, we have mentors that are covering such a wide range of, uh, of topics. Incredible. Well, there we go. Call to action, everybody. <laughs> Very clear. Yes. Uh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sheena, for providing all these insights. Um, and it was a pleasure to hear everything that TST has been bringing um, to the industry and, and learning about your journey through it all. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gina. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Matthew Curtis and plug in to the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.